It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. Maxine Waters, and I'm a proud Democrat from the progressive state of California. The primary season has ended, and we have so much to be proud of. As a member of the platform committee, I have no problem with giving Bernie Sanders credit for contributing to our historic progressive platform. And I am thrilled, absolutely thrilled, to acknowledge Secretary Hillary Clinton's work to unite and strengthen our Democratic Party. So, tomorrow night, Hillary Clinton will accept the party's nomination, and we must leave this convention energized, united, and committed to winning in November. America, we have a winner in waiting. The next president of the United States of America, Hillary Rodham Clinton. You know, I'm so proud to support a woman who has the skill to meet with world leaders, kings and queens, and who commands respect from our friends and our foes alike. I'm elated to have a candidate who really understands diplomacy, global security, and the importance of climate protection. I'm so thankful we have Hillary Clinton, whose life of public service is not mythical, but real and profound. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America and all of our listeners around the world. We say a very special hello and, and, and invite you to join us tonight on a very special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And tonight we, I'll tell you what, this young lady who you just heard, Congressman Maxine Waters, doing some things, I'll tell you, on our nation's capital, has been there since 1991 and I'll tell you what, folks, she ain't got tired yet. I pardon the improper English, but we're going to kick off right now with Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Maxine Waters starts right now. Hey, 
And there you have it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams. Lisa is off tonight. And I'll tell you what, folks, uh, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We thank you for joining us. We're coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where the temperature right now is 77 degrees and partly sunny. A beautiful evening here in the Rockies. And uh, we're happy to have you tonight. Uh, And I'll tell you right now as we get started, but before we do, let's read the disclaimer for our listeners, William. Yes, we are not attorneys, and the Just Cause did not provide legal advice. Please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a Just Cause or AJC Radio. And as always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend your time with us tonight. All right, we appreciate that. And uh, again, folks, if you want to join in the conversation tonight regarding Maxine Waters, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, feel free to call 319-527-6216. 319-527-6216. And I'll tell you what, folks, this is going to be a good one. Uh, as we were doing the research on this show, uh, ran into a situation where uh, Congresswoman Waters was calling folks into accountability uh, at some financial institutions that are well known in this country. You're going to hear a little bit about that. There was a special, there was a story years ago uh, at on Nightline where she actually was dealing with the home uh, foreclosure crisis, banks not returning calls, con- and constituents and me- people all over the United States just suffering. And I'll tell you what, Congresswoman Waters got down in the trenches and began to try to get some things done. You're going to hear about all of that tonight, uh, how she is a really a team player uh, within the Democratic Party, but also uh, calling things what they are in our nation's capital and the gridlock at times that happens on Capitol Hill uh, you got to have leaders out there that are willing to push past that and try to get stuff done. And, Dennis, as we get into this tonight, uh, Congresswoman Waters uh, from Los Angeles uh, represents the Los Angeles and the, and the, uh, the Los Angeles, California uh, area. Uh, doing some things, Dennis, and I'll tell you what, a lot of challenges down there uh, where she actually got involved trying to bring an end to gang violence. A lot of the gang issues down there in L.A. that they've been known for. Uh, I'll tell you what. This is somebody that's really in the trenches where the battle's really happening. And not only that, uh, she's in the trenches, but she's tough. I mean, you got you to be very tough to step out on uh, gang violence and get involved with trying to, you know, clean up the city. But I tell you, uh, a congresswoman that, that is uh, willing and, and not afraid to get in the ditches to, to make it happen for her constituents, and then not only that, to show the rest of the world that, hey, uh, we can make a difference. I'll tell you, she's doing good things. And we're going to get into all of that conversation tonight, uh, and we're going to definitely uh, have an opportunity to speak to those issues. And, uh, you know, it's, it's refreshing to know, uh, and, and the total time uh, that she has been uh, in public service has been over 37 years uh, of public service. And uh, I'll tell you what, she takes on the controversial issues uh, combined with her legislative and public policy uh, 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 approach. She's able to get stuff done. Uh, she's also uh, 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 she is an, asset, an actual member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and member and past chair of the Congressional Black Caucus as well, uh, attacking a lot of issues and things there. And I'll tell you, as uh, Cliff was sharing the other night, uh, some of the things that that he dealt with in in, in L.A. Some of the things, Cliff, you could probably speak to that uh, for a leader to be able to step out. And to get involved with that is never an easy thing to do. 
uh, given the things, again, that you just briefly went into, uh, it must speak volumes uh, in regards to uh, Congresswoman Waters. Yeah, you have a lot of dynamics in uh, in L.A. County, especially down there in uh, the city of Los Angeles, uh, you know, South Central, Watts, Compton, Inglewood, those areas. To be able to, uh, you know, come there, bring people together, bring some type of change, that, that is not a small task. You have, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, ethnic groups, a lot of different, you know, um, a lot of different neighborhoods there that, you know, some are, are very poor, some are middle class, just a whole plethora of, uh, of people to deal with. For her to be able to go in, make a difference, bring those communities together to communicate nothing less than a, uh, you know, just a, a, a great accomplishment. And you, you have to commend her for it, take your hat off, whatever accolade you want to use. But to do that, it, that is a, a, a tremendous accomplishment on her behalf. No, absolutely. And the, the number of terms, I believe it was 13 terms uh, that she has been uh, elected uh, speaks, speaks for itself. We're going to get into that again, folks. Feel free to dial in tonight, 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216, and we're going to dig into that here momentarily, and we're looking very forward to that. William, your thoughts on Congresswoman Waters and what you have uh, been able to learn? Well, I'll tell you what. She is definitely one of the people that you, you come to know that is going to really fight and champion for causes. Um, definitely, you know, we're going to hear more about her, but she is definitely a person that you're not going to take light. She's going to definitely step to the forefront and fight for those that, uh, that need a voice and need, uh, need to be represented. So she's a very, very good person. Oh, absolutely. And we're going to get into that here momentarily. Uh, right now, we're going to turn to current news uh, issue in South Charleston, Charleston, excuse me, South Carolina. I'll tell you what, that state is going through some things. Uh, teenager kills father before opening fire at a South Carolina school. Um, and this was in the news yesterday. A 14-year-old boy shot and killed his father before going to a nearby elementary school in South Carolina and wounding two children and a teacher with a handgun on Wednesday afternoon, authorities stated. A teacher called 911 to report a gunman, and police arrived within seven minutes at Townville Elementary School in Anderson County, located near the Georgia state line about 100 miles northeast of Atlanta. And one of the six-year-old children shot was in critical condition, and in surgery at Greenville uh, Memorial Hospital. Scott Stoller, a Juan Slade, spokesman for Ann Med Health Medical Center, uh, said they were treating one adult woman and a boy. Both were in good condition, Slade said. Uh, authorities said the dead male victim is believed to be 47 years old. One male student was shot in the leg, and the other boy was shot in the foot. Uh, the female teacher was shot in the shoulder. Uh, authorities said both the shooter and all victims uh, were white. Uh, Anderson County Sheriff's Office Captain Garland Major did not know the relationship between the shooter and those injured at the school, uh, stated that a handgun was used but would not say where exactly the shooting occurred or how the shooter entered the school. Somebody explain to me where a 13 or 14-year-old boy comes in possession of a loaded gun to kill his father and continue the rampage and go kill students at a local elementary school. Not kill students, but wound them or make an attempt uh, to take these young people's lives. Uh, Dennis, how do we speak to that? I don't know. It, it, it absolutely it doesn't make any sense. Uh, first of all, uh, I don't know the time of day when this took place. Uh, 
but we're supposed to, the doors should have been locked at the school. Uh, I mean, after all the, 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 you know, the killings that's been going on in our schools, uh, you, you think we'd be concentrating more. But what made this kid do this? And again, as you alluded to, how, how did the kid get the gun? Uh, I tell you, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'm sure he could have got it from his father after he, you know, after he killed his father. But uh, well, it's 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 out there. He obtained the gun prior to killing his dad. Wow. So, how that happened uh, states here that the incident was the latest in a series of shootings at U.S. schools that have fueled the debate about access to guns in America. If we, this tells you we have a, a immediate problem with access to guns. And this, and then whenever the issue has been raised by the by the Obama administration. Uh, to say, and the Democratic Party that said we're going to do a sit-in, something has to be done, and then you got people looking crazy after the fact. This is what they're talking about. Exactly. Let's get the guns out of the hands of people or children. Now, 14 years old, we're starting to go back to what we you remember the Columbine massacre yes. that happened there, where kids were just—I mean, this guy killed the state of mind for this young man to go kill his dad. And collectively gather yourself to go to a school and continue. It's unbelievable to me. And it's something that conversation definitely has to be had uh, about this in America. And I just get frustrated. You know, every time it comes up, well, nobody wants to deal. We don't want to take the Second Amendment away. Wake up. We're not talking about taking the Second Amendment rights away from uh, citizens of this country. Exactly. We're just trying to, it's just trying to stop. Those that should not have a weapon in their possession from having the weapons. And that's all it's about. It's not about taking away Second Amendment rights. It's about making sure we do the right thing. How many kids, how many children, how many people have to die before somebody finally says, you know what, I think think we need to do something about this. We need to put laws in place that prevent. Uh, those that shouldn't have guns from having guns. Jamie Meredith, whose daughter in kindergarten at Townville Elementary, told uh, a new local news a- um, affiliate that she panicked after getting word of the shooting. Her daughter is okay, but described the scene of scared and crying children. And the, the woman says, I'm just scared. Who was not identified said through tears she was interviewed by the local station. I don't even want her to go to school now. Uh, yes, that's and it brings to mind in 2012, a gunman shot dead 20 children and six educators at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. The deadliest mass shooting was in 2007 uh, when a gunman killed 32 people at Virginia Tech University. Uh, Earlier this month, a 14-year-old girl shot and wounded a fellow student at a rural Texas high school and then died of self-inflicted gunshot wounds. A 14-year-old girl took her life. Uh, and uh, states here that Governor Nikki Haley is due to meet with law enforcement officials uh, in the area. Anderson County Emergency Services Director Taylor Jones said uh, they're looking to have conversation. Look, when you're talking, this is this is bad. You're talking about children killing kids. A 14-year-old girl simply goes and shoots a student uh, and then kills herself in a rural area school. This was the rural areas you were talking about, William, last week. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is, you know, I agree. I, there's, there's two sides of this. Number one, access to the weapons. And number two, you know, what's, what is really going on with these kids? I mean, we're, we're seeing things about bullying on, on, on 
you know, TV, is commercials, they're talking about cyberbullying, you know, on, on social media and things like that. This, and, you know, so there's no telling what's really pushing these children to the point where they're, 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 they're taking the lives of others, they're taking their own lives. And, you know, to take the life of your own father, that's, you know, that's a lot. I mean, to, to kill your father, then go to school with the gun and then shoot a teacher and I think two other students, you know, that that is a lot. But it's, it's happening, and oh, it's today. I'll tell you what, the rhetoric that's gone on in this campaign this year, and I'm going to just say what I'm going to say. Uh, when you have leaders, and, and I, I go back to the campaign ad uh, ran by Hillary Clinton, where children are sitting on the floor, as innocent as they can be, listening to nonsense on our news stations and rhetoric and racial division in this country and the hate-type-filled uh, rhetoric. You're, I mean, let's just call it. When you're saying that your children are very impressionable, and I'm going to tell you right now, when you start talking about people uh, taking guns to rallies and, uh, and you know, want to be able to brandish their guns at a, at a saying we, we, we protect our rights, kids don't understand all that. And when you and you add that with the division and the hate that's being talked about and the divide in this country racially right now for nonsense and violent tones in conversation, I'm going to tell you what, Americans got to look in the mirror and say we need to do better as a society, as a as a uh, political system. Uh, we have seen things in this campaign this year that is unprecedented. And that commercial shows these little kids and profanity being used on TV. And they're looking at the TV like. You think that's wow. not having an effect? It's having an effect. Dennis, your thoughts on that? You, you know what's amazing to me, though? I, I tell you, our, politici- our politicians should be really like, what are we doing? I mean, if, when we talk about Sandy Hook and the loss of 20 children, that's a lot. That's, that's big. 20 children died. And still... We have not enacted or, or put came together, tried to, you know, let's let's get out, let's cross the aisles to try to put something in place that we could prevent this from ever happening again. They heard mothers crying. They heard, you know, all these testimonies. And you know what happened after that? Nothing. It's time out. Uh, uh, America has to come together and say, look, come on. How many pe- how many children? have to die how many innocent people have to die before we say you know what we're gonna have to put some uh some restrictions in place as to who should be carrying weapons and if they're they're even you know in a mental capacity to do so it's just amazing to me no absolutely and again folks you can read that Uh, that just happened yesterday and the danger here is that every time there's any type of school shooting uh, people tend to follow suit, and you start hearing it happen all wow. over uh, the country. That's the pattern, at least, that I've seen uh, all the way since Columbine and these tragedies that are happening in America. Uh, ladies, again, feel free to uh, join into this conversation tonight. A uh, spotlight on Capitol Hill, uh, spotlight, if you will, of Congressman Maxine Waters, uh, Congresswoman, excuse me, Maxine Waters. Um, we're going to get into her uh, her life, the things that she's done the things that she has set out to do to implement change in America. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, as Cliff alluded to earlier, there's nothing easy uh, about public service. There are challenges. There are things that you face in public office uh, that is absolutely, uh, it, it takes a lot of strength and a lot of perseverance 
uh, as, as you alluded to, uh, uh, Dennis, it, to, as far as the toughness, uh, to be able to get down in the mud. And I think a lot of times politicians don't want to get on the controversial side of politics. But I'll tell you what, you're not going to be effective uh, it's in many cases unless you become somewhat controversial in your fight against injustice or whatever your uh, passion is dealing with the criminal justice system or local communities, uh, health care, whatever you call it. These are challenging times for our country. On the other side of the break, we come back and we begin Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Congresswoman Maxine Waters making a difference in the nation. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the nation. We'll see you then. Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents that are incarcerated? These children cope with the pain through drugs, alcohol, anger, and violence. It is so important. So important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone. Become a part of the community. 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 Become a part of the community. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him, he's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many.
I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We can, we can make, make a difference. difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And tonight, uh, we want to take a couple of moments again to welcome all of our listeners uh, around the country and around the world. And joining us tonight in this special edition, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, as we honestly look at a legend in Congresswoman Maxine Waters, 13 terms she has been elected to the office in which she holds and uh, that alone speaks volumes uh, of the Congresswoman. Uh, she is considered by many to be one of the most powerful women in American politics today. Uh, she has gained a reputation as a fearless and outspoken advocate uh, for women, children, people of color, and the poor. And Dennis William Cliff, we were having a conversation the other night. Uh, you don't hear a lot about the poor and their plight, if you will, that's going on in America, uh, and she has been an advocate and a very outspoken person in addressing those issues that affect every citizen, and that doesn't matter what lifestyle uh, you might have, what social status you might have, she believes all people are very, very important, and no one should have an advantage, uh, to the point where we focus on one group based on social status or where they come from, and we kind of neglect the other. Uh, that's kind of been the habit, uh, at least the human nature uh, of people as a whole. Uh, well, you know, we don't worry about those people. You see somebody, uh, I was sharing the story yesterday. We saw a homeless man uh, at a gas station, and we were standing in line to, to get our stuff, uh, get, get something to drink. And uh, the guy came out, uh, and he went into the store, grabbed his Danish, uh, had a, his, his beverage, uh, and... Uh, you know, we're standing in line, and, and the guy says, sir, are you going to pay for that? He said, I most certainly am not. Call the law. And uh, he walked right out and sat out front and ate his lunch. Uh, but I think a lot of that comes, you know what, then nobody cares about us anyway. But today in the store, I matter because I have a Danish and a drink. It, that's unacceptable uh, in America. But 
those are issues that have to be uh, thought about when you see instances. And we would just show shots. And I said, really? Did that just happen? Uh, but I tell you what, I guess the guy said, you know what, nobody cares about us anyway. Uh, so let's go in here and get something neat. I'm not condoning that in any way, but just making a point. Uh, it's important that we let our uh, uh, the poor of this country, uh, the, the those that may not have the opportunities that we have, I think people get to a point of just being fed up. Uh, but Congresswoman Waters is one that is set out to change at least that narrative uh, in regards to reaching out to all people. Uh, these are things that, uh, as a country, uh, that brings us together. And, I, and Dennis, I think that's true, but we don't hear a lot about a reach out or a campaign about the poor. No, we don't. Uh, it, it's always, I, I think what America does or what our politicians do is they try to wrap the poor up into middle class. You can't do that. I mean, those are se- separate classes. They are struggling much harder than the middle class. And, and it's really good to hear a uh, a congresswoman or a, a, one of our representatives uh, getting out there and saying, no, 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 no hold up. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're concerned about the middle class, but we're also co- concerned about the poor. And I noticed with uh, Congresswoman uh, uh, Waters that she's really into – uh, I don't know if you want the, the underdogs, and I don't want to call the poor underdogs because, you know, the, truly they're not. But in the sight of, you know, in this society, you know, that, that, that's built on the middle class and, and, the, and the upper echelon, uh, for her to reach out like that, to let everybody know, hey, no, it's not just about those that have. It's, it's about those that, that, that does not have. And I tell you, that's awesome. That's commendable. Oh, absolutely. It states here that prior to her election to the House of Representatives in 1990, Congresswoman Waters had already attracted national attention for her no-nonsense, no-holds-barred style of politics. During 14 years in the California State Assembly, she rose to the powerful position of Democratic Caucus Chair. She was responsible for some of the boldest legislation California has ever seen, the largest disbursement of state uh, pension funds, from South Africa, landmark affirmative action legislation, the nation's first ever statewide child abuse prevention training program, uh, the prohibition of police strip searches for nonviolent misdemeanors, and the introduction of the nation's first plant uh, closure law. Uh, I did see something where she was very uh, involved, Cliff, with the Jenna Six, uh, was one of the lead voices on Capitol Hill. Uh, in defending and speaking out about the injustice. If you remember the Genuine Six story, uh, these, th- this was a horrible, in my opinion, uh, and according to uh, Congress, uh, something that they actually called hearings on, on, on what was going on in the Genuine Six story, Cliff. Right, because it shows the uh, inequality in the application of, of the law against, uh, you know, perpetrators or, you know, those who broke the law. So uh, Congresswoman Waters said, hey, we need to do something about the fact that you can have two completely similar situations. And because of the, uh, you know, the different race of the individual mm-hmm. or I mean, I mean, you're talking about boys who got in a fist fight at school. Right. And suddenly you want to try them for attempted murder. Right. Because they happen to be, you know, African-American wow. teenagers. You're talking about high school kids. And you want to try them for attempted murder. And, uh, and she, she was one of the ones who stepped in and said, no, that is not the way 
the law was uh, was set out. This is not the way that I mean, this is not that type of crime. You're not talking about somebody with, oh, we had uh, guns and knives and we're trying to kill people. No, you're talking about a fist fight on a schoolyard and you want to try kids for, for murder. And uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters said, no, not on my watch. You not might be, be, you might not be my constituent. You not my, might not be in my district, but I'm coming to the, uh, you know, quote, unquote, coming to your rescue to ensure that justice is met out. Well, there's a lot of people that feel that Congressman Waters is, is out here doing something. We're going to hear a little bit of a tribute to her. Uh, let's hear what that tribute had to say. When I think of the words public servant, I think of Congresswoman Maxine Waters. The people are expecting us to make them their priority, to make sure that we're investing in opportunity for them, their families, their children, and their neighborhoods. I have the responsibility. We have the responsibility to offer leadership. Is that stepping outside the box? You bet it is. Our middle-income taxpayers in America will not have a tax increase. As a matter of fact, they'll have a permanent tax break. And the billionaires and millionaires of this country are going to have to pay their fair share. We did increase their tax rate. She's very persuasive in a very charming, old-school kind of way. And I can hear her right now saying, watch it. And let me tell you, she's demanding. She's worked with me. She's helped me. She's been tough on me. But I'm a better person because of my association with her. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaking Member. The gentleman from Alabama evidently has amnesia. The Clinton administration eliminated the deficit and left a balanced budget. Thank you for allowing me to come this morning and share a few thoughts with you. I feel extremely blessed. First of all, just blessed because I was able to get up this morning. She was the caucus chair, a very, very important role at a time when people of color and women had to fight, had to scratch, had to claw for every right that they were able to provide to the people that they represented. Economic development is extremely important, Pastor. And access to capital, the ability to have access to capital so you can buy inventory, you can create jobs. I rise in support of the back-to-work budget. Let me just say it again, back-to-work. This is what this budget is all about. Ladies and gentlemen, investment in our infrastructure. We have bridges that are falling apart, streets that need repaired, water systems that need upgrading. We can create jobs. She has held my hand and told me exactly what she wanted to see happen in the community. A lot of people refer to her as a fighter. I totally disagree with that. I refer to her as a winner. Honesty, hope. Faith, courage, integrity. These are the principles that guide Congresswoman Maxine Waters. That's my life. That's what I do. I fight for people who don't have high-paid lobbyists in Washington, D.C. fighting for them. So I want my legacy to be that the people blessed me with the opportunity to serve, and I represented them honorably, that I was a voice, that I was not afraid, that I had the courage to stand up for them. That's how I would like to be thought of. Well, there you have it. 
Congresswoman Maxine Waters. I'll tell you, when you hear that tribute, uh, this is a go-getter that is demanding that things be done. And I like the the, uh, statement she made to the congressman on the House floor when she said uh, he apparently has amnesia. Uh, Because, and you know what, you feel like some politicians actually do. When they begin to play politics so hard, they refuse to see the truth of different administrations that have done things in this country to make a huge difference, as we did the uh, report, uh, the special spotlight on on, uh, former President Bill Clinton, all that he accomplished. And she began to speak to that. You got to have a voice to say, wait a minute, your lying has to end. Uh, Congressman Waters seems to have no hesitation, Dennis, to dig into that. Oh, no, she's she's truly straightforward. And uh, it's a good thing because she's truly passionate about, uh, you know, what she believes in and and how she believes, you know, you know, each and every American should be treated. And and you could tell that. I mean, just in in all that she was saying in that clip, as they spoke about her, how she's a uh, she's a winner. She's a go getter. She's a uh, make it happen type of person. Okay, let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. No, absolutely. And uh, says she has used her skill to shape public policy and deliver the goods. Ten billion in Section 108 loans, guarantees to cities for economic and infrastructure development, housing and small business expansion, fifty million appropriation for youth, fair chance program. Uh, which established an intensive job and life skills training program for unskilled, unemployed youth, expanded U.S. debt relief for Africa and other developing nations, creating a center for women veterans, among others. And I'll go to you, Dennis, on the, the veterans again. This, this, when you talk about uh, 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 act, um, allocating money for unskilled youth to learn job skills, you know what? That comes from her seeing youth on the street, uh, Cliff, in Los Angeles, getting wrapped up in gangs. I'll tell you what, if opportunity is not presented to these kids at times, someone in a negative way will present an opportunity that can actually be a life and death situation. That's absolutely right. And the, the thing that uh, in most inner cities and in most uh, impoverished neighborhoods, there typically is not a local alternative. There is no place to go for these kids when they when they come home from school and they say, okay, there's not a decent park or there's not a, a rec center. They're definitely, uh, you know, in most cases are not places where they're learning a skill, learning a job that they can utilize later on in life. And so Congresswoman uh, Maxine Waters said, look, we're going to put more than, you know, a basketball court. We're going to put more than a baseball diamond. Let's let's get somewhere where these kids can learn a skill, where they can say, you know, by the time they graduate high school, and to keep them in high school, give them a reason, show them why school is important, why education is an integral part of their adult life, but then give them a, you know, something to prompt them to move forward after that, to say, look, now you have a skill. This is what it takes to be a a feasible member of of society. This is how you give back to your community by going out, getting a skill, being able to work, uh, come back to your community, and then become a mentor to someone else. She saw that, you know, and and realized that obviously the youth is where it starts, but realized that they needed they needed something, and, and you can't really say they needed more because they didn't have much to start with 
but she gave them something to hold on to to say, here is something to realize your dream. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the, the, that her whole district appreciates her. Uh, you know they do. They continue to vote for her, vote her back in every year. So, uh, you know, we tip our hats to Congressman Maxine Watts. Well, absolutely. William? Well, you know, I was listening to the clip, and, you know, the thing that stands out is her constant fight and emphasis for the poor, fighting for those that need a champion, you know, and, and, and it, it's amazing, but she understands the fact that there are more people out there doing without day in and day out than those that are sitting there uh, constantly, you know, they're taking care of that have the wealth. And those people need, you know, they're going to feel at some point that nobody's listening. You know, they're going to feel like uh, they're, they're castaways or, or, you know, that society's not paying us no attention, that our government doesn't care. And she's sitting here saying, look, I do care. I do care. I care to the point where you need infrastructure. You know, I guarantee you the roads that she's talking about and the bridges that she's talking about is not in the good neighborhood. The ones that need to be fixed are the ones in the, in the areas where – you know, people need to get to work. They need, you know, they're depending on infrastructure. They're depending on, you know, water. They're depending on things to get done for them to have just a better quality of life, education, funding for them to get, you know, homes and alternative living, you know, things like that. These are things that these people need. They need a helping hand. They need some assistance. They need somebody, somebody to listen to them and not only listen but act. And that's what she's done. I mean, for like Cliff said, when you're talking about people have sent her to back to office 13 times, she's there, been there championing, you know, causes out there working in the community, and not only in her with her constituents, but across the country, because she realizes this is this is not just people in LA. This is people throughout the United States that are poor, that are doing without, and they need some help. And who's going to be there? And she said, listen, I'll be here. I'm here. I'm here to champion this cause. I'm here to fight for you. So, you know, we need more people like this in Congress. Unfortunately, we don't. But, you know, she she is definitely a person that's championing these causes. No, without question. And uh, as you begin, I'm sitting here looking at her resume, if you will, uh, of legislation. And I'll just read a, a few of them off to you. We're going to get into some of these uh, here shortly. Uh where she actually is involved uh, in certain things, consumer protection, minority and women inclusion, housing, uh, critical foreign affairs, criminal justice, uh, co uh, congresswoman looking to end mandatory minimum sentences entirely. That's about prison reform. She is in, in, uh, involved with the, with the immigration issues, passionate about health care. Congressman Waters marks 80th anniversary of Social Security. Uh, also, House bill protects students from mandatory uh, arbitration and class action bans. Uh, Congresswoman Waters' statement on the 50th anniversary of Higher Education Act calls for an end to the Ellis Act and the end to mass evictions. Student borrow deserves immediate debt relief after attending schools engaged in deceptive and predatory practices. Uh, Congressman, Waters Congresswoman Waters introduces Minority Diabetes in an uh, in, uh, Initiative Act. Uh, joins President Obama for signing of Wall Street reform law. I mean, we can, we're going to get into all of this as best we can on the things she's doing. And you understand when you begin to go down the list, 
And that's not even half of it, of some of the things that she is involved in. Uh, uh, she actually observed National Latino AIDS Awareness Day by opposing funding cuts for the Minority AIDS Initiative. I mean, saying to people that every life matters, every person matters, no matter who you are, where you come from. Uh, goes on here further, Congress to consider dramatic overhaul of credit reporting waters bills gives the CFBP explicit authority to monitor creditor scoring to make sure there's no uh, racial uh, targeting, if you will, or unfair practices where people can't get housing or they can't get the things that they need. Uh, she talks about the wealth gap, uh, taking on that challenge to bridge the gap it, as far as wealth among minority communities in white America. I mean, this is, these are things that are life-changing. These are things that definitely impact a nation. It impacts the future of a nation. Uh, it goes on and on uh, for the things that she has done. Uh, and for one thing, uh, Cliff, uh, as far as L.A. County, $4.5 million federal grant for L.A. County for residential noise mitigation in Lenox and in Athens. Trying to bring peace in all of these things that affect communities to do things that are effective and, and productive uh, in our society. And, and I'll tell you, when you start breaking down some of these things, you cannot help but respect what Congresswoman Waters is doing. And this is why she has been elected 13 times. She's apparently doing uh, a great deal and doing some good things there uh, on the Hill. Dennis, your thoughts on that? And truly, uh, when, you, when you talk about the Congresswoman, you truly hear that she's truly about all people. And that's the biggest thing, you know, we got to get to our uh, politicians, our, uh, our, our civil servants, per se, that you got to be about everybody. I mean, you can't pick and choose. I mean, you can't, you know, say I'm for the rich, uh, I'm for the middle class. I mean, you got to be for everybody. I mean, everybody has a stake in this uh, this great America. And if and if we don't, you know, come together as a group, as a group of people, regardless of race, background, you know, how we was brought up, you know, what what our thoughts are. I mean, hey, we're, we're, this is a, this this is a great country, but if we don't, if without Congresswomen, you know, and Congressmen. You know, uh, it, it, doing the right thing. You know, we, we're just spinning wheels. We're constantly debating. We're constantly going back and forth. That's why I commend uh, Congresswoman uh, uh, Waters. She's—I mean, that's awesome. It's about let's do the right thing. Let's fix that that's broken and uh, let's let's go forward. Well, they also here it says here she is co-founder of Black Women's Forum, a nonprofit organization of over 1,200 African American women in the Los Angeles area. In the mid-80s, she also founded Project Build, working with young people in Los Angeles, housing developments on job training awesome. uh, and placement. And uh, uh, alluded to, uh, goes to what Cliff alluded to there. Uh, he remembers not a lot of programs and not a lot of things. Yeah, uh, I, I remember that program. You do? That was, uh, that was the first job I ever had. I Is that 15, right? Yeah, you know, I was 15 years old. I was trying to get out of trouble my parents were trying to get me out of trouble and I remember that program it was it was good because it it gave us a uh, a, a skill you know they there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, you know urban houses under development so it was under the HUD program 
and they took us in, taught us how to install insulation, how to install wow. door, awesome. door jams, uh, put up drywall. And, you know, I, I was a knucklehead. I didn't, uh, I didn't take it to heart back then, but that program kept me out of trouble for two summers. Let me ask you a question, Cliff. Now, uh, with where you, again, what you've shared of what you've been through, where, we, where you've come from, when you read that, that's got to be a satisfying moment that, you know what, I was part of something. Wow. And, oh, how, yeah. and how old are you now, Cliff? Now I'm 45, so that was, that was 30 years ago. The impact of Congresswoman Waters. Yeah, impacted my life. I mean, me, wow. me two of my brothers, and uh, one of my sisters, we went in that program. And, I mean, where we grew up, there was the, your job that you knew you were going to have that was almost a guarantee were, was – you will be outside selling dope on the corner. And this program, wow. when I was 15 years old, uh, they offered that to us, said, look, you know, uh, we, can, we can give you something. I, like I said, I work repairing houses, repairing uh, people's, you know, doorways and insulation. And it showed me that, you know, where I was at, that, that my situation was not as bad as I thought it was. Because, you know, as we went, deep, we, I mean, we went deep into the project, deep into... Uh, some neighborhoods that, you know, were kind of bad places for me to be. But when I went in to help these people, it was uh, it was quite the experience. You know, I worked doing that. And uh, my brother, he worked at the at the uh, YMCA helping, you know, uh, teaching kids how to swim. And, uh, you know, it was, it was quite the experience. But I look back on that and I know that if it had impacted my life, there was a lot of a lot of uh, teenagers you know, at 15, because you, you have to be like 16 to get a work permit. In that program, at 14 years old, you are allowed to work. Because that is when we really, really started to get in trouble. That's when we were learning how to, you know, uh, how to shoot guns, how to be runners, how to do all these things that were just leading to a, a life of, of, uh, of crime and, and really punishment. Because the end of the road was either you were going to be in a grave or you are going to be locked up in prison. And that program really helped us out, reached out to the to the kids in the neighborhood. And like I said, it kept me out of trouble for, for two summers. And, um, you know, really, really a great impact on my life. Well, I'll tell you what, when you hear that, you wonder if the 14-year-old that we talked about in South Carolina had such a program of doing something. Perhaps he would not have killed his father in cold blood. Congresswoman Maxine Waters touching here at home and it's close to home tonight as cliff shares his impact the impact and this is 30 years ago and congresswoman waters still sits in congress in our nation's capital we salute you congressman waters we're coming right back spotlight on capitol hill thursday i'll tell you what the bar's just been raised for another thursday night we're coming right back folks we'll be right back this is ajc radio Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. 
And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. This is Julie. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator. 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game. 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving. 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting. 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime. 1 in 2 men. 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation, for the ones we love, for our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, 
Dennis Merritt and William Williams and the AJC radio team tonight. I'll tell you what, if you're wondering what is the sound that I'm hearing, it's normally the sound of champions. Tonight, we have unveiled a champion in our nation's capital. Her name, Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Doing some things that, I'll tell you, has us honestly awestruck in this studio tonight. As she has set the bar 13 times elected to Congress and doing things in a way that impacted a young man tonight, Cliff Stewart, that was involved in a program 30 years ago that Congresswoman Waters initiated in Los Angeles. If that's not leaving a footprint, Dennis, I don't know what is. And it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome. the way he said that uh, it, it actually taught him a skill. And uh, the skill that he learned, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure, Cliff, I, I'm sure you still know it. But it, it's just awesome. I mean, because what do you do as a young kid and, you know, brought up in the uh, ghetto and, in in, in, you know, the hard streets of L.A. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that you can do that can get you in trouble. But that program, I tell you, I, I'm sure it's affected quite a, quite a few kids. We talk a lot about members of Congress, and I said this before when Cliff, when we were there in D.C., uh, we said to other members that may not have been from Colorado, we are your constituents. Yeah, you go. Either directly or indirectly, what you do today on Capitol Hill affects a life many times for a lifetime. We had no idea that our own Cliff was impacted by this type of, I mean, that speaks volumes. That's awesome. Uh, Cliff is, I think he said, 40, 46 years old now. Thirty years ago, as he's plumbing away and learning this skill, would have never known that today, 2016, the lady that started that, the lady that sought out to make that happen, we spotlight tonight on AJC Radio. That is absolutely amazing. William, your thoughts as we, uh, it, it takes you to a moment to realize the impact a person with the right vision can make. That's true. I mean, and I think that's that's. A big statement, and it says, you know, that we have to do something. I'm in a position where I can influence and change and steer somebody's life and touch the lives of a child, give them, you know, opportunity and skill for a better life. You know, that's really what, you know, when you're elected to to a position to represent people, represent, uh, you know, you're representing these children. You're giving them, you have the opportunity awesome. to give them a chance and a future. And what a good age, as Cliff said, uh, usually you couldn't work till you were 16. Right. This program allowed, when youngsters are the most impressionable, is at that 13, 14 years of age, uh, getting into uh, those things. That's absolutely amazing to me. Uh, it speaks volumes to the character. And, and this is something you can't fake. No, I mean, you, you really understand that that's, that's – when they get teenagers and they have that, that two months off during the summer, that's prime time for them to get into anything. I mean, I got into anything, you know, as a teenager. You know, so when you give them an alternative, you give them opportunity. That's the key. Yeah, that's the key. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you know, and you, and you realize real quick this is an opportunity to continue to teach, to continue to mold a young person into being a better adult. So that two months off that they have between school, give them an opportunity to learn something new, 
Well, and like you said, William, it's an alternative to the negative, to, to really the bad situation. Yes, yes. If, if you grow up in that environment, if you, like, like Cliff said, you grow up not really with much opportunity, you see what you see on a day-to-day basis. For a member of Congress to say, I'm, that's what I call being in the trenches. That's down in it. What can we do to save a life? What can we do to mold our tomorrow, our nation, our America? This starts with giving confidence to kids to say, you know what? I can accomplish something. I can be somebody. Well, I can do those things that are important. What, you, what you're saying is the influence. How Absolutely. can I influence somebody? I mean, there's, there's good and bad influences. So like Cliff said, if you if you look out on the street corner and you see this guy, you, you know, you see him hustling, you see him, you know, selling drugs or whatever. I mean, that is going to influence you one way or the other. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So so if this you give somebody an alternative and say, look, this is what you can do. And this is what you can learn. No, so it, it's it's choices. No, absolutely. And it's such a uh, Congresswoman Waters. As she confronts the issues such as poverty, economic development, equal justice under the law, and other issues of concern to people of color, women, children, and poor people, Congresswoman Waters enjoys uh, a broad cross-section of support from diverse communities across the entire nation. Because what she is saying is that there's no one community that's uh, unique in its own. This is a problem. It is a nation problem. And to be able to tackle that, uh, uh, we actually uh, located a a local affiliate there in uh, Los Angeles uh, who actually uh, was talking to Congresswoman Waters about the gang violence at a time in L.A., and she was thoroughly engaged in that conversation trying to bring solution. Let's hear what she had to say. What do you think are some of the reasons why not just homicides and violence went up, but specifically gang violence has increased in the last couple of years in L.A.? I don't know. And in uh, going out on the street and talking with young people about why gang violence appears to have increased, I'm told that a lot of it is about retaliation, that um, now what you have is um, young people who have been shot or killed over a long period of time, some of their relatives may have been incarcerated, they have come back, and that uh, this is what it's all about. We don't know uh, for sure what it's all about. But one thing we do know is we've got to do everything we can to stop it. Well, I've been listening to a lot of different people giving their opinion about crime increasing in Los Angeles. One of the um, views that I hear a lot is that there's been a, a lack in the black leadership, not just um, federally or, or statewide, but locally. Do you think there's any truth to uh, the faltering black leadership locally here in Los Angeles? Well, I don't know what that means when it's a faltering black leadership. I mean, if one could be more specific and if they could say leadership hasn't done enough to get appropriations for programs, they haven't done enough to support families, I don't quite know what that means. I think that uh, African-American leadership in particular is extremely responsible in the way that they fight for resources for the community. Whether you're talking about support for welfare, for poor families, support for the homeless, we're known as the big tax and spenders. We're known as the liberals who do this all the time, but we do it despite the fact it is not politically uh, popular uh, with mainstream politicians to do it because we know that there is a lot of poverty and homelessness and uh, mothers and fathers who may be incarcerated, kids living with grandmothers. And so uh, African-American elected officials are extremely responsive and responsible. 
Well, there you have it. Uh, and, and I like what she said. I don't know where all this is coming from, but we know we have to stop whatever is going on. Uh, William, you don't have to look far for that. This sounds as if, you know, am I talking for the cameras? I believe, on this particular clip, she's on a basketball court in a park talking to this uh, upcoming reporter, looked like an in-home video, to say, what can we do? And she's out there, not waiting for the big cameras to come on her, you know, on Capitol Hill. Let's find out what the problem is in L.A. Your thoughts on that type of passion and direction? Well, she said it best. She said she said something I had not heard, which is mainstream politicians. She said, we are not going, I'm, you know, I'm not a mainstream politician. I'm not, I've got to deal with the poverty. I've got to deal with. With the broken families, the broken homes, she said, grand, uh, grandchildren being raised by, I guess, uh, you know, the grandparents, broken homes, poverty, poor situations. So I'm not going to be a mainstream politician. I'm not going to say what's correct or polite for the cameras. I'm here to deal with issues. We'll deal with the truth. I'm dealing with the issues that's here in my community that impacts my, my people, my constituents, you, the person next door. That's what you – I mean if you listen to what she said, that's really – that was the details. It's like I – and I and she, and she also said without saying I am not going to be a mainstream politician. Well, there you go. She goes further on to say uh, – and not, well, not to say, but this is a fact. Born in 1938, uh, Congressman Waters was one of 13 children in a poor family living in a St. Louis housing project. She credits her childhood for what she is today. Competitive, outspoken, and most importantly, determined. Just getting her in a family that size is difficult, she said. In Ebony, uh, Congressman Waters' mother, Velma Moore Carr, struggled to support her family by working intermittently at a series of low-paying jobs, uh, argumented by welfare. Uh, Congressman Waters described her mother in Ebony as a strong woman, a survivor, whose determination served as an inspiration to her i think what happens in society we have a problem cliff at times where people don't appreciate the hard knock life and i'll tell you right now that is the driving force that you know what when i'm arguing about housing when i'm arguing about fair treatment of african americans when i'm arguing about women being uh, included in the conversation when I'm arguing about the poor need to not be forgotten I'm coming from a point where that I live not that I heard about I live this role how big is that that's uh I mean that is huge and what it does is it speak it speaks to her tenacity about being a member of Congress and it reminded me of something that I, I read you know basically in her bio where she said if you believe in something you must be prepared to fight. There we go. To argue, to persuade, to introduce legislation again and again and again because it uh it just it drives you to to fight for what you believe in. And she has she has proven that that you know I started programs like the one I said that I was in. And yes. then, but you know I'm not afraid to go to the park. Where, you know, the teenage, where the gang members, where there's gang violence, where, you know, somebody told me there's retaliation. That's the reason for more violence. But you know what? These are my constituents out here. These are our children. I'm going out here to find out 
what is going on in Watts, what's going on in Compton in South Central LA, the places that when you hear that, you know, that's what makes America cringe. It's like, oh, well, I hear those names. I know if I'm in LA, you don't show up at Watts Park. If you don't belong there, you don't go there. And Congresswoman Water said, I'm going down there. There you go. To find out from these kids, these, these uh, gang members themselves, why is the violence increasing where you guys live? What is going on? That is what it takes. But like she said, if you believe in something, you're persuaded to fight and to attack awesome. it again and again and again. It's about what she believes in, and you know it by the actions that she takes. And I think what's clear is that she focuses – she's not ashamed of where she came from. There's a lot of people that get going. It's, it's needful to return. Wait a minute. What, what was I doing? And she said, at a family size of 13, it was hard to be heard. She, out of all of that, her voice is heard the loudest in our nation's capital right now. That's awesome. And it speaks to uh, the perseverance, the character of a woman. I'll tell you what, if anybody believes that a woman cannot accomplish what a man can, if not more, we live in a very uh, serious time of delusion. This woman is doing things and impacting lives of all people, all backgrounds, all uh, religions, whatever you are. Her outreach to Haiti, reaching out to make a difference to those that are struggling I mean, is that not what the human spirit is, Dennis? It is. This truly is. And then when I, I just want to read something real quick. It says, Waters advocated breaking away from the Democratic Party and possibly creating a third party that would be responsive to the concerns of blacks and other people of color. In the nation, in the nation she commented, when I look at what is currently happening, to the masses of black people, to America poor in general, and the entire nation, I am angry and frustrated. But we cannot yield to the feelings of helplessness. We must transform anger and frustration into bold and direct actions. As for the Democratic Party, it must prove itself in these critical times or stand like the Republicans as just another instrument for betrayal and suppression of the people. That's, that's huge. That is humongous. I mean, when you think about that, it's like, look, I'm about the people. And we got to start looking out for the poor as well as the middle class, as well as the rich. Enough, enough, enough. And I'm telling you, to me, yep. this, that was an awesome statement, a very bold statement, having been part of the Democratic Party. Well, she goes here because there's issues and concerns that have to be addressed. Exactly. Somebody has to be that voice. Uh, and they said that Congresswoman Waters has never shied away from that. Again, the, where she comes from will cause it's a driving force there. Yes. That I've lived in uh, Section 8, uh, well, housing. I've lived in, in, in situations that maybe I wasn't proud of as a kid. 13 children, man, that's a struggle. Yes. Uh, mom having to work those jobs and uh, on the, on the uh, cusp, if you will, of the welfare, uh, welfare system. Uh, and it goes, that takes us to her issue with the housing uh, uh, move and push that she's done. It says, uh, Congressman Waters unveils legislation to remove unfair barriers to housing assistance. She said, and I quote, Congressman Waters, and I quote her, 
Some of these policies are simply unfair. Tenants can be evicted for crimes committed by a guest without their knowledge. They can be evicted for a single incident of criminal activity, no matter how small the crime. And they can be evicted for criminal activity without much evidence that they actually committed the crime. Moreover, once a tenant is evicted from assisted housing for drug-related criminal activity, they are automatically banned for three years, even if it was an unfair eviction. Ranking member Congresswoman Waters said this bill would reform the process so that everyone has a fair chance of maintaining access to stable and affordable housing. That's what's the right thing to do, Cliff. When you hear that, uh, she must have seen some of these things. People get a, and that's, that goes to the criminal justice system, which we'll talk about uh, later on, and her passion with that. This goes to that. And this is when you talk about the disparities in black communities, minority communities. This is when you, when you hear that, uh, those facts that are actually happening, yes. you understand clearly why there are protests when officers go out and kill African-American men in these communities like their right. struggle is not enough. That's right. Do you understand that? That's very clear, Cliff, when you see that. Yeah, so I mean, you you say, okay, the people in, you know, they're having a hard enough time. They're working, and then they're needing to have, uh, you know, social aid like welfare, being on food stamps. Then they get to, you know, a boiling point, and like she was saying, it's just a, 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 a crime that uh, they're convicted of that could have been just a moment of passion, could have been, you know, just a heat of the moment. And then you want to evict them from the place where they've been trying so hard, struggling, you know, pinching so many pennies just to have a place to stay to say, hey, you know, I'm not on the street. Then you want to evict them for that. And, I mean, she understands that that can push the person over the edge to say, okay, now you've taken this step and it's pushed me, you know, one more step toward uh, toward doom or toward, uh, you know, something that I really, really don't want to do. And, but when it boils down to it, it's like, okay, this is not fair. You do not evict me because, I mean, if I committed a crime and I paid my debt to society, that is not a reason to convict me because I, I, I mean, uh, evict me because I have been accused of a crime. Because, I mean, you haven't even seen the evidence. You're just trying to get rid of me. It, it's another, uh, like you say, a, another social injustice that it is not, it's not using the law fairly. Right. It's saying, okay, we're going to take and we're going to make a statute that says we want to get rid of you because of who you are, where you live, you know, your race, your color, your creed, your religion, whatever reason. They're just using it as a reason to get rid of people, and that is not what the law was laid down for. And, and Congresswoman Waters says, I'm going to ensure that the, if the law is not being applied uh, equally, then it should not be applied at all. And she, she, uh, she steps out at being the first to ensure that that happens. Well, she talks a little bit here. Uh, we were talking about the criminal justice, uh, and this kind of goes hand in hand, that criminal justice affecting housing, affecting uh, fair housing practices. But states here, uh, while serving in Congress, uh, she introduced various measures to address problems related to mandatory minimum sentencing. Uh, most recently, introduced the Major Drug Traffickers Prosecution Act of 2009. Uh, this bill would restore judicial discretion in mandatory minimum sentences 
for drug offenses and refocus uh, scarce federal resources to prosecute the major drug kingpins. That is already, I believe, in effect, uh, that the Prison Reform Act uh, that happened not too long ago. She's part of that. But she makes this statement, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is, I think is clearly important. Uh, in other areas of criminal law, and I quote her, uh, I have advocated against juvenile life sentences and the death penalty. Studies have shown significant discrimination in the application of the death penalty, including one that revealed defendants convicted of killing a white person were more than three times more likely to be sentenced to death than those who killed a black person, and over four times more likely than those who killed a Latino. Furthermore, doubts surrounding the innocence of some people sentenced to death has prompted some states to recognize the need to either prohibit executions or impose a temporary uh, morandum on the death penalty. This is very important. I quote Congresswoman Waters. She states, I am also concerned about abusive and unconstitutional practices by some law enforcement officers. And she states some, the men and women who, who police our streets and protect our neighborhoods have important responsibilities and face real dangers. However, they must be held to high standards of professionalism based on codified criminal procedures and policing practices. They should not be given sweeping power to momentarily strip individuals of their Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights, the amendments that govern the criminal procedures, restricting and limiting certain government actions. As she states here, as a member of the House Judiciary Committee and Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, and Homeland Security, I will continue my work to ensure the civil rights and liberties of all people are protected. I'll tell you what, does it, given what's the tone in our country in the last few weeks, this is our champion. William, your thoughts on that? There's, there's really nothing I can say. I, I mean, really, she is, I mean, she's really fighting for those that have been, that have been kept down. Absolutely. You know, then that's, that's really Dennis, your thoughts? <laughs> awesome. I mean, we, we need some reform. Uh, I mean, everything she said was true. Uh, we, we got, you know, too many uh, young black men dying on the streets. Uh, and, and, and again, she, she made sure she said, OK, it's not not all police officers, but we can't say that, you know, all police officers are doing the right thing, because if they were, I truly believe without a doubt that we wouldn't have so many uh, unnecessary deaths uh, of our young uh, black men and uh, men of color. And states here that Congresswoman Waters introduced the mandatory minimum, <clears throat> excuse me, reformed act legislation within all mandatory minimum sentences for people convicted of violating drug laws. Congresswoman Waters told Think Progress that she hopes she, that the timing is finally right for the bill, a more progressive version of legislation she has introduced in the past to finally gain bipartisan support, which we have seen happen. Uh, the prison reform issues have been front and center. Uh, of our, our folks uh, in our nation's capital. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the Gen of Six. Uh, that situation, Cliff, uh, you know, alluded to in regards to the unfair treatment uh, of these men, uh, African-Americans. Uh, Congresswoman Waters was highly, in, highly uh, engaged, if you will, into that conversation. That was huge. We're going to see her a little bit about that right now.
understand uh, that the third district court of appeals threw out the charge uh, as an adult uh, for the so-called crime and now he's in limbo he's just languishing in jail he's not charged as an adult he can't be that's illegal now he has not been charged as a juvenile he's already done 10 months we want him out and we have to develop a strategy to get him out and congressman just to be able to to play devil's advocate for a minute critics are saying why all this attention on michael bell he had four prior convictions he had a battery charge uh, for socking a teenage girl in the jaw why is he being out to be or being made out to be such a martyr and all this attention when really the issue uh, should, should be on a larger scale with regard to racism within the system and not so much focus on Michael Bell. Well, it's all of that. Uh, as a matter of fact, Michael Bell is not being tried for any past uh, problems that he's had. He is in jail now because he was charged as an adult, supposedly for a fight that took place between uh, a white and some other African-Americans. So we're not into what happened in the past. We're talking about what happened in Gina. What happened when some white kids hung a noose across the tree? What happened when black kids were told that under that tree they could not sit? It was off limits. We're talking about whether or not the criminal justice system is working uh, properly in Gina. That's what we're talking about. And let's talk more about that criminal justice system. Yes. Let's talk about the DA, Reed Walter. I asked you last week uh, about uh, investigating him, his background, his history, uh, his history as a prosecutor. Do you feel and have you been able to investigate and will you investigate his actions as a prosecutor, as in trying blacks tougher than whites? Well, what we will do is we will have a hearing. We will have a number of witnesses. He will be one of those that I'm sure the judiciary chairman will call. When they call him, of course, they will have found out everything that they could find out so that we could ask questions of him about his past actions, about the way that he's handled this case. For example, we know that he said to the black kids early on, with the stroke of a pen, he could ruin their lives. We know that he's holding Michael Bell without charge. We know uh, that he's taken certain kind of actions that appear to be extremely harsh and uncalled for. So certainly we would be asking him questions about all of that. What about the judge, Judge J.P. Moffrey? Is he being left off the hook here or are you checking into him as well? No, he is not being left off the hook. As a matter of fact, when our Judiciary Committee decides to hold a hearing and to investigate, everything comes into play. We need the facts. We need to know who the judge is. We need to know why he made that decision. We need to know everything about the DA. We need to know everything about all of the children that were involved. We need the facts. And wherever those facts take us, that's where we will go. Well, there you have it. Uh, wow. Uh, look, I'll tell you right now, Congresswoman Waters is someone you want fighting for you. She mix, She does not mix her words. She said, we want to know the truth. I mean, this is, she sounds like a litigator for justice. That's what it sounds like to me. And see, she's talking about holding everybody accountable. Everybody. There, there's no, uh, you know, okay, this person who uh, might I might be looking for a favor for, you know, she's calling out the judge, the prosecutor, the DA. She's calling out everybody. That's right. She's saying, who are the people who are applying the law unfairly to black children compared to the the white kids they had a fight with? Like I said earlier, I mean, this is a fight in a schoolyard. When we start prosecuting kids for that because 
you start prosecuting black kids for getting in a fight because they're black, that is what the the uh, school to prison pipeline is about. Absolutely. I mean, it puts them in a system where it's like, okay, you never had any need to be there. These are teenage boys blowing off some steam, and sure, somebody got hurt. I'm not. I am not advocating anybody be violent to anybody else. But this is a school issue, something that the the uh, the parents and the principals and the counselors and the teachers should have dealt with. Not law enforcement, not a judge, not a prosecutor. And uh, Congresswoman Waters is saying, look, you are not going to apply the law to these uh, young black men because they're black differently than you would to the white students. That is just on its face, simply not fair. And she is standing up for justice saying, hey, everybody who took a part in, in trying to do this and try to in trying to use the law this way, everybody who's guilty, I'm bringing you to the table and you're going to tell me why you did this. And when you say that you did it and it was against the law, I'm going to ensure that you get prosecuted. That is, you know what? I mean, this is something that is refreshing uh, as we are at a point in this country. And again, I said it once, I'll say it again. A divide, a racial divide in this country where you have to have people who are willing to fight. The point, the Cliff's point that he alluded to earlier, she made the statement if, if you got to be ready to fight for what you believe. And if you're not willing to fight, nothing gets done. We, we talk about the, the financial crisis that this nation was in some years ago. Uh, listen to this. Congresswoman Waters has led congressional efforts to mitigate foreclosures and keep American families. Now, what I like about this, this isn't a black issue that she's addressing now. She's talking about all people. So though she, she has to address uh, the issues with African-Americans and minorities, but she is fighting for everyone. She says here uh, she led congressional efforts to mitigate foreclosures and keep American families in their homes during the housing and economic crisis. Notably, through her role as chairwoman of the Subcommittee on Housing and Community uh, uh, Opportunity in the previous two Congresses. She authored the Neighborhood Stabilization Program, which provides grants to states, local governments, and nonprofits to fight foreclosures, home abandonment, and blight, and to restore neighborhoods. Through two infusions of funds, the Congresswoman was able to secure $6 billion for the program. I didn't, did you hear what I said? Billion with a B. With a B. She secured $6 billion to help others not lose their homes or lose the American dream. Dennis, what do you have to say to that? <laughs> it's, 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 if, if, I'm a, if I am a homeowner and I'm struggling and I'm trying to, I'm doing my best, I'm working hard, I'm trying to make the payments, and, uh, and here comes a, a, a long... Uh, uh, the Congresswoman uh, Waters that says, hey, we're going to help you. I mean, that's, that's just big in itself. And then, like you said, $6 billion to help people stay. People that are struggling wow. to keep their homes. That's awesome. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> Again, and it goes further here. This is what she did as well. Uh, Congresswoman Waters is lauded by African-American entrepreneurs for her work 
to expand contracting and procurement opportunities to strengthen businesses. Long active in the women's movement, Congresswoman Waters has given encouragement and financial support to women seeking public office. Many young people, including those in the hip-hop music community, praise her for her support and understanding of young people and their efforts at self-expression. One testament to her work is the Maxine Waters Employment Preparation Center, a multi-million dollar campus providing education and employment opportunities to residents of the Watts area. Now, Cliff, I got to go back to you. This is our L.A. guy. Uh, What do you say to that? And Watts is no picnic. Right. I mean, this is the fact that she, uh, you know, I see why she's been uh, voted back in the office time and time again, because you're talking about, we're talking about Washington, you're talking about L.A. County as a whole and, and, and all of its impoverished areas. I mean, these are the places where we felt like, okay, there is no member of Congress, there is no legislator, there is no law enforcement that cares about, you know, what's really going on in quote unquote the hood. For her to take that type of stand to say, okay, I am taking an interest in what's going on here. I'm going to ensure that things get better. I'm going to do all that I can do uh, to make sure that that happens. Those are the type of things that speaks volumes to a community that uh, that is only remembered because of its violence. That's only remembered because of its reputation for bad people that come from there. So for, for her to say, you know what, I'm going to do this and you know, Watts is about the about one of the uh, you know the toughest places that you can be in America. And for her to take that stand and say, "Look, I am going to ensure that Watts gets better." That uh, that speaks volumes and has to speak volumes to the community of people that are there. And uh, that's why she continues to get voted back. Oh, well, well, think of this. <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. A multi-million dollar campus in Watts. And it's an employment preparation center to say, look, we want to prepare you for a better tomorrow. We want to show you a better tomorrow is possible. That is the definition of public service in America. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to get in on the conversation as we spotlight a legend without question or hesitation and no fear of contradiction, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, not only talking the talk, she's walking the walk. We're right back here on AJC Radio, spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, shining the light on yet another legend. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 529 4200 
1-800-242-1852 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Do you know what this means? Do you? It means you can voice your opinion without censorship or restraint. It means you can say nothing at all. It means you can debate, protest, question, contribute, whenever, wherever. Take it. Embrace it. Say it out loud. And there you have it. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And I'll tell you right now, if you're wondering what we're talking about tonight, about a jungle, if you will, and we're looking for some, for some survivors and some leadership across this nation, and we have found at least one key ingredient or component of that answer in Congresswoman Maxine Waters. And I'll tell you what, as we were talking during the break, Uh, In regards to the the in-the-trenches approach of getting down where the problem exists is why problems and rather answers are being given uh, to some of these very, very difficult problems. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams and the AJC radio team tonight. And I'll tell you what, William, this has been indeed a pleasure and an eye-opener and very informative to the facts. And we said of doing the break, uh, William, that, you know, these are things that the American people should know. Uh, not only the folks in L.A. who are directly affected, but we as a nation need to know what our elected officials are doing, thus the birth of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. That, that's true. I mean, but, but you really look at this, and I mean, even as you're talking, I was thinking, this is what heroes are made of. See, this is, this is when someone is out here 
fighting for us. You know, I mean, so many times we get we get hung in with hung up on on the, the heroes that we see put on plaques or pictures or statues, but it's these people that have done this for years. I mean, when you talk about thirteen terms that she's gone to Washington and championed causes, I mean, that's phenomenal. And I mean. You even said at the beginning of this, we're going to try to touch on some of these things, but there's no way we can touch on everything she's done and the lives that she's impacted, the communities she's touched in this time. But And that's really what a hero is. Well, listen to this, and I like what this says. Congresswoman Waters exploded onto the national scene during the Los Angeles fires, beatings and rioting, which followed the verdict of the policeman in the Rodney King beating. Much of the destruction and mayhem was in Waters, uh, Waters District, and she quickly returned home to lend a helping hand and take advantage of the media spotlight uh, in the ur- and the urban policies of President Bush and the former President Reagan. She was also, in turn, uh, really, uh, re- uh, I would say, chastised for defending the rioters, looters, and arsonists when she remarked on national television, riot is the voice of the unheard. In a scathing editorial, the conservative National Review claimed she was trying to shift the blame for the riots from the rioters to everybody and everything else in the process was giving tactic permission to riot again. That's not what she was doing. And when you hear that statement, riot is the voice of the unheard. The people that have, it's not excused. She's saying, I understand, because nobody's hearing anything else. When a black man is beat almost to death, beyond recognition by white officers in L.A., you know what, and they come back with no charges, no nothing. She said the riot is the voice of the unheard. That's right. I mean, and, and is she, that not the truth? But she said that this is the thing. She said that in 91, they're rioting today because of the same thing, those that are not being heard. So, see, she's one that's out here saying, if we don't listen to these people and listen to their issues, these issues are real. These people are not just doing this to be doing it. They are tired of being unheard, unjustly punished, you know, and even like with the Gina Six, she's sitting there saying, you are not going to take these kids through kangaroo court where it's it looks like court, but you're going to blatantly, you know, Put them through the ringer and not treat them different, uh, and treat them different than the white kids. I mean, you're so. In other words, stop treating the minorities and the poor so badly, and that's what that's really what it's about. And she sp- speaks. Of, I mean, that's just you know what I never heard it that way. But people are so quick to criticize the language, but hear the message. That's right. Hear the message. Riot is the voice of the unheard. If we can hear. The riots will stop. If we will listen, the rioting will stop. She's telling you very clearly, you want this to stop, let their voice be heard. That's critical, that's critical clear of what she's trying to say. She also talked about closing the racial wealth gap. Let's hear what she had to say. Hi. This is Congresswoman Maxine Waters from the 43rd District of California. I have been a member of Congress for 25 years, and I currently serve as the ranking member of the Financial Services Committee. Today, I would like to talk to you about a very important issue facing the African-American community, 
and an issue at the heart of my work as ranking member of the committee with jurisdiction over the financial sector. I want to talk to you about the racial wealth gap. It's an issue that I've been concerned about for many years and one on which I'm leading a resolution supported by over 50 members of Congress urging the United States Congress to proactively implement policies to close the gap. The 2008 financial crisis not only exposed weaknesses in our regulatory framework, but it brought to the forefront the widespread disparities that exist in a variety of aspects of life for African-American families. Currently, there's a sizable wealth gap in our country between African-Americans and other ethnic groups. The median wealth of white households is about 20 times that of black households and 18 times that of Hispanic households. These lopsided wealth ratios are the largest since the government began publishing such data a quarter century ago and roughly twice the size of the ratios that had prevailed between those three groups for the two decades prior to the Great Recession that ended in 2009. Because wealth is such a critical asset, disparities in wealth have significant consequences. Wealth is the difference between what you own and what you owe. It is critical for you and your children to reach the next level. Wealth building is the difference between sending your children to college or not. And as we learned with the recent financial crisis, wealth is the difference between the ability to make your mortgage payments and stay in your home or being forced out of your house and having to live on the streets. So when we talk about the wealth gap and economic equality, we're not just talking about numbers. We're not just talking about not having as much as the other guy. We're talking about pulling families out of poverty, keeping them out of poverty, and ensuring that their children and their grandchildren never fall back into poverty again. This wealth gap not only stifles economic mobility for communities of color, but it is a serious economic threat to the financial health and security of the entire nation. Oh, there you have it. Uh, a very heartfelt uh, uh, message of what her purpose is. She states these things have bothered her over a long period of time. And I'll tell you that this is something that is, is critical, you know, and again, we would need another couple of shows. And William, I'm holding up this, uh, if you will, resume of Congresswoman Waters. Uh, we have, what, a few pages turned here? Yes. Just on that, uh, we salute you, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, for your contribution and your public service to this nation. And we salute you tonight. I'll tell you what, uh, the bar has been raised again. For these things that Congresswoman Maxine Waters not only has done, and her impact from 30 years ago is being felt today in this country. We salute you, Congresswoman Waters, for your service to this great nation. Right now, we turn our eyes on another issue, which I believe Congressman Waters will definitely want to hear about, the injustice of the RFP6. What you didn't know happens right now. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan 
about the RMP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testify. And then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. 
um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we take a look in the what you didn't know about the IRP sex. You may wonder, why is that continually coming up? Well, a situation and a miscarriage of justice happened in that case. Six men, their families, their friends, their church has been affected in a very negative way as a result of an injustice that should have never happened. Who are the IRP6? They are Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Six men who developed software to ensure the safety of a nation. And as a result, they have languished in prison for the last four years wrongfully on trumped-up charges and a targeted attempt to end that dream. Tonight, what we visit and we're going to revisit a conversation in a situation where the IRS colluded with other agencies of the federal government, government, excuse me, the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney's Office to target a Colorado Springs Fellowship Church and Pastor Rosebanks and its members. Ironically, these six men belong to that church. They went into bank accounts unauthorized, with no subpoena, with no court order, and simply violated the rights of these men, their families, their church, their pastor, without cause. Tonight, a just cause, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church seeks justice on Capitol Hill that they are held accountable for that conduct. For that conduct, excuse me, Cliff. And th- these, they were blatant in going into these accounts for over five years. Not definitely not an isolated incident. Absolutely not. You know, uh, when we looked into it, there was found to be over eighteen thousand pages of uh, of you know discovery. Half of that was banking records for the church that these men went to. And uh, you might say, well, you know, maybe they had calls. Well, when they were asked about 
why do you have church bankruptcy? Well, the church has never been uh, under investigation. The church is not under investigation. This was said by uh, by the spokesperson from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Denver. But asked when or uh, when he was asked, why do you have the banking records of the church? We don't have any comment about that. But the church isn't under investigation. Never well. has been. And when when it was brought as an issue because it came came to uh, be found out that there was no subpoena for these banking records for the church. And when asked about this, when the prosecutor, uh, Matthew Kirsch, assistant U.S. attorney Matthew Kirsch up in Denver, Colorado, was asked about this, you're talking about in court on the record. Well, Judge, if, I, if these records were obtained illegally, uh, what difference does it make? These, they don't have any right to privacy. And at first, the judge, Judge Christine Arguello, who presided over the IRP six case, said, "Well, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, I think maybe they do have a right to privacy." But then said, "Well, I'll take it under under advisement." Well, that advisement never came. She allowed the case to move forward with this egregious act sitting on the record that a prosecutor, a federal prosecutor, says, "Even if I got these illegally." How do you even make that statement and it's on the record and a judge has no problem with it? Well, there are uh, some committees in Congress, as you know, Matt, that we took that information to show them this transcript of this this uh, this hearing that went on on the record. And they said that right there. We have a problem. with. This Absolutely. prosecutor is out of line. This statement has no business in in a, in a, uh, a court. And a judge has no business allowing a prosecutor to say that without having serious issue with him. And this case never should have moved forward. So with that on the table, yeah. uh, you know, these are the reasons we say that the IRP six case never should have made it to court. I mean, there was no there was no crime in the first place. Everybody who looks at this, who are, uh, you know, retired from the bench, like uh, Judge Ashley Sarakin, people who are former prosecutors said, I cannot even find a crime anywhere in this case. How did a judge allow this to get to court? Those are the things that make us say that uh, there was some type of conspiracy going on. It wasn't by the IRP-6, but somebody had it out for them. And the fact that you targeted a church, let me make it very clear, ladies and gentlemen, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church is a pillar in its community and above reproach, make no mistake about it, Pastor Banks is, uh, without question, her life, her teachings, is all about uh, doing the right thing. And I'll tell you what, this is why the injustice of the IRP-6 is, is at the level that it is, and why we fight and do what we do to bring justice to that situation. I'll tell you what. There are people responsible who we call the perpetrators of justice. Let's list their name right now. William, who are they? U.S. Attorney John Walsh, U.S. Attorney Matt Kirsch, U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge Arbrook Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI agent John Smith, FBI agent Robert Moen, former federal agent John Epke, former federal agent Gary Hilberry, attorney Thomas Goodreads, attorney Clifford Barnard, attorney Thomas Richard, attorney Robert Berger, attorney Mitchell Baker, attorney Boston Stanton Jr., attorney Rick Kornfeld, attorney Mark Garagos, 
president of ETI Professional Services, Susan Holland and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that. These are the perpetrators of justice. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you what, we will continue to seek justice. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. A very special thanks to the service and public service of Congresswoman Maxine Waters. And I'll tell you what, a legend raising the bar every day. We thank you for your service to this nation. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time here on AJC Radio. Good night. This bill addresses many of those problems and will return much-needed stability to the Section 8 program and the 2 million low-income families who rely upon it. We heard from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, public housing agencies, national housing interest groups and advocates, and other housing experts about the importance of reforming Section 8 program. While there is consensus that the Section 8 program needed to be reformed, HUD disagrees on how to reform the program. National housing organizations like the National Low Income Housing Coalition and the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, which represent those directly affected by the change in the funding formula agree that basing the funding for a program as important as the voucher program on data that is three years old is just simply bad policy. In 2004, Congress changed how it paid public housing authorities for vouchers under lease. Instead of paying the actual cost of the voucher, the decision was made to pay for what the voucher cost during a three-month period in the previous year. This had disastrous consequences for PHAs, and many saw cuts in their funding, while Section 8 recipients had to bear the brunt of this policy change. As waiting lists closed, many low-income families who had been waiting for affordable housing for years suddenly found housing denied to them. Because of cost concerns, some families were denied their right to move to areas that may have been a bit more expensive but had better job and educational opportunities. Some families saw an increase in rent as many PHAs scrambled to cut costs. As families struggled under this formula, so did some of our nation's largest PHAs. The snapshot funding system was consistently and has consistently underpaid some PHAs to the benefit of others. Because of the funding instability, these PHAs had no reason to house more families. As a result, housing authorities are sitting on $1.4 billion in unspent voucher funds. This non-use of voucher dollars is unacceptable because we have lost 150,000 vouchers as a direct result of the funding formula.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.